And I'm Steve, and we have been working our way through the Lord's Prayer over several conversations now. We made it as far as daily bread last time, um, and that means that the next part of the Lord's Prayer, tell us where we're headed next, Erica. We're at forgive us our debts, trespasses, sins, as we forgive the debts, trespasses, and sins of others. Okay. One of those places where we get hung up on the English translation, uh, and beyond that, uh the other wrinkle we're going to have to take a look at is what is Jesus saying about the relationship of God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of other people? Oh, the joy. <laughs> right, right, right. So our starting point is the, the, the words are forgive us our, pick one, uh, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us or something like that, something to that effect. Okay. Um, that said, then, uh, w- how, how, how do we even get into the conversation today? We're, we're, help, help us sort of uh, find our ground from where we were last week. So last week, um, we were talking about our daily bread. And, mm-hmm. and you would hopefully mention, Steve, at the beginning of our episode last week, that you know, while there's no um, grammatical punctuation or anything in the original Greek, um, and, and I agree with you, I think it would be very helpful after that phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven, there should be a colon. <laughs> now I'm looking at my scripture, there's a period, but I like the idea of a colon there because then the rest of this prayer talks about what that looks mm-hmm, like. And mm-hmm. so again, this is what it looks like to live out the kingdom here on earth. Yeah. Is um, this idea of forgiveness that first off, God forgives us. Yeah. And because God forgives us, then we should then forgive other people. And and if that's right, if, if if we're somewhere in the right ballpark here, that what God's reign, God's kingdom looks like is manna and mercy for everybody, mm-hmm. daily bread and forgiveness, then notice how in both of those, um, God is the driving force. And the only question is whether we will reflect and act in ways that resonate with that, you could say. Mm-hmm. you know, So that's uh, in the idea of God who gives daily bread, God's the one who provides it. And not only gives it to me, but gives enough to everybody. And then the question is whether I will share that daily bread with one another because that's what we do. And there's enough mm-hmm. for me and it'll rot and grow maggots on it if I don't if I don't share my manna. And that forgiveness is the same way, meant to be understood the same way. The sort of that yeah. God has this way of dealing with the world on the basis of forgiveness. Uh, and because God has forgiven me, then will I forgive one another and treat people as though that's the way God runs the household. That's the, mm-hmm. the economy that God runs, so to speak. Yeah, because some people, you know, when we read this, and, you know, I've almost been guilty, kind of guilty of preaching this way, you know, it almost seems like if we don't forgive other people, then we're not going to be forgiven ourselves. Right, right, right. And again, like, Jesus seems to very, very tightly hold the idea of God's forgiveness and our forgiveness of other people together, that you you don't get the... the choice to separate that and say, mm-hmm. well, I like the one without the other. But yeah, that if there's if there's one that comes chronologically or even logically first, it's God who's the first actor. Mm-hmm. God's forgiveness happens first. But because of God's forgiveness, right. then we should be willing to share that forgiveness with other people. Steve, I'm going to steal from one of your older brothers in the faith. Yay! <laughs> Um, I, I'm telling you to our listeners, I'm not becoming Lutheran, but I do love <laughs> Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Yeah. And I, I love his quotes and uh, a few weeks ago, I was preaching out of a book by Richard Foster called Celebration of the Discipline. He quotes Bonhoeffer a lot. And then the chapter on confession, Bonhoeffer is talking about um, how this kind of works 
And so I'm just going to read this quote. Bonhoeffer writes, uh, anybody who lives beneath the cross and who has discerned in the cross of Jesus the utter wickedness of all men and of his own heart will find there is no sin that can ever be alien to him. Anyone who has ever once been horrified by the dreadfulness of his own sin that nailed Jesus to the cross will no longer be horrified even by the rankest sins of a brother. And I think that's where this, you know, I think that plays into this idea of forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Mm -hmm. It's not so much that we won't be forgiven if we don't forgive other people's sins. God's willing to forgive us no matter what. But because we realize how rank our sins are, how stinky, Mm -hmm. how much Mm -hmm. we have been stinkers, Mm -hmm. and how much God has forgiven us, then we need to in turn share that forgiveness with other people, which I think reminds me of a parable. Yeah, I mean, like, again, this is this is not us inventing ideas, but Jesus, who teaches about forgiveness here in the prayer, also, again, it's part of a whole worldview, a whole mindset. Mm-hmm. And that parable uh, that, that comes to mind, at least in my mind, is one Jesus tells about a, a, a master and uh, employees or, or servants or slaves of his who owe debts and, mm-hmm. and they're dealing with debts. So uh, give us the, the Reader's Digest version of the story. So you you have this master and one of his servants owes him a huge debt. He cannot pay it off. And and so the servant begs the master for forgiveness or at least for extra time right. to be able to pay off his debt. Right. And and like as as a as a aside, the the amount he owes is something on the order of like ten thousand talents. And a talent is something that would you would our best guess is you're talking 20 years of minimum wage. Yes. This is a debt. Who, I mean, who knows? How do you rack up this kind of debt? Did he like break the guy's yacht or something? Like, I have no idea. How how do you rack up a debt that big? Do you lose the Klopman diamond or something? But so he's, you know, racked up this huge, imp- almost comically high debt. And then his, he pleads with the master, says, give me time and I'll pay it back. And I mean, you have to figure the master's just sort of laughing out loud. Like, no, are you going to live to be a thousand years old? No, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. And, he, and instead, of accepting a payment plan just outright cancels the debt, right? Yeah, he absolutely just cancels the debt and, and says, you know, basically go on your way. I forgive you for this debt. Right. And so then the, the, the servant goes on his way and then he comes across a servant of his right, who owes him like $20. Yeah, something. I mean, you, some, some little minuscule. It, it's measured in denarii in, in the parable. So we're talking like, in a, yeah, it maybe a couple weeks wages or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. A, a minuscule debt compared to what he has just been forgiven. Right. And a good servant would then, you know, forgive his servant because his master forgave him this massive debt. And, right. Well, you only owe me a couple weeks' pay. Just don't worry about it. But. You know, people being stinkers that they are. He says, "No, I'm not going to give forgive you this debt. In fact, I'm going to put you in debtor's prison right. until you can pay it off." Right, right, right. And so the the landowner, the boss at the beginning of the story, hears about this and gets all upset and says, "Wait a second, you didn't forgive when I forgave you this astronomical debt," mm-hmm. and sort of you know, turns the tables on him. Um, that in in the logic of Jesus' storytelling. The idea is, of course, the, the, the giant debt is forgiven first, but it's meant to be like, and duh, this is now how you're supposed mm-hmm. to operate. This is how you're supposed to act in your relationships toward others. Mm-hmm. And maybe we could even like uh, go a step further and say the way Jesus tells the parable, the the first 
interaction, the first exchange is a master-servant uh, relationship. And if anybody has a right to hold, I mean, the, the, the master sort of has, has the right to hold this guy to the fire. But the, in the second act of the parable, it's one slave and his fellow slave. And they're both, they're sort of social equals. It's not like he's, you know, the boss of the other, but like the, he's supposed to be treating him like as a, we're equal. And he still treats this, this fellow slave like, no, I won't forgive you. I won't cancel mm -hmm. this debt. And so Jesus sort of exposes this is what we're doing to each other all the time because God is this one who is forgiven this infinite debt uh, to, mm -hmm. to imagine our relationship with God as a free gift of grace. Uh, and yet we have this way of holding grudges against one another. Yeah, this holy God who we've talked about before, who often gets portrayed as, you know, he can't be anywhere near sin, forgives us sinners, you know, for, for everything that we've done. Mm -hmm. And so then we're we are to forgive one another. But yet we so often, you know, God for, has forgiven me my sins. I really like that. But Steve's been a stinker to me. And so I'm not going <laughs> to forgive Steve for being a stinker. Right. And that's Sounds what, like me. You know, that's what this parable is all about. No, it's more like I'm the stinker, <laughs> Steve, but that's okay. Um, you know, is if, if we can be forgiven great debts, then we need to do that for others, um, no matter what the size of the debt is. Right. And it, to me, it feels like... Um, in, in a way that I think is, is helpful to see this alongside the prayer for daily bread in the first half of the, in, in what we talked about last week, um, that the the proper thing to do with manna, the part of what God teaches the people back in the Old Testament, the right thing to do with manna is when you get it, you get enough for yourself and then you let go of the rest of the other people. Mm -hmm. can have, there's this similar sense that when uh, grace abounds, when you are forgiven, the right way to handle it is good. Know that you're forgiven and that grace abounds and overflows to the other people around us. Uh, so again, it seems to me like there's something intentional going on when Jesus puts these two ideas. This, what what we need is uh, the, the raw materials, the, the daily bread that gives us life, but also the restart that forgiveness is all about that allows us to restart on a daily basis with each other. Um, and that in, in a sense, this is as much as, as talk about forgiveness can sometimes sound very abstract or ethereal or only God can forgive quite that big, like this is very practical stuff. The only way we can live in community together is if we can be people who put away the past and are like, I'm not going to weaponize it anymore. That what, what someone has done to us is wrong and forgiveness is not to say that it's okay. It's to say this was wrong, but I, w I won't let that past uh, hatred or that past uh, uh, wrongdoing define me or our relationship anymore so i won't weaponize it against you anymore i won't keep bringing it up and when we're when we're moving on when we're done we're actually done with it and it's not just gonna be well as long as you're nice to me but in the moment you do something else again i'm gonna bring up all the other 15 other things you did in the past no we're, we're leaving the past behind otherwise it gets maggots just like manna does yeah so what happens when somebody keeps doing the same thing over and over and over again? Right, see? right, right. Like, do we have to forgive them every single time? Well, again, like, this is a place where Jesus conveniently has offered us some insight. And, again, maybe uh, instructively, the teaching about forgiveness actual practical you and me other people forgiveness comes right in front of the parable that jesus tells about the, mm -hmm. the master and the servant the unforgiving servant it comes out of matthew 18 um and jesus says it very you know if someone sins against you go and find out the fault when the two of you are alone if they listen to you great uh if they haven't listened to you take a couple of people and eventually it gets to the the question well if somebody sins against me should i how many times should i forgive him and peter's uh 
question to Jesus, should I forgive him as many as seven times? Uh, and Jesus' famous answer is either not seven, but either 77 or 70 times seven. But some, you know, obviously a hyperbolic extravagant, that many times we're, we're called to forgive. And again, it, it's not about that there's a limit. It's just a higher limit. It's no, for, treat it as though there's no limit on this, right? Absolutely. That's difficult, though, because for life in community, um, when someone continually acts as a stinker, uh, it's hard to keep, man, there they are doing that stupid thing again. It's it's hard to, to, to practice that, and it's hard to continue a, a community together, especially if it feels like there's not the trust of, um, isn't this person trying to get their act together? I mean, that, that's a difficult piece in there, right? It is. It is. Um but yet it's something that, you know, we're called to do. And I think, Steve, you brought out a good point earlier in saying that when we talk about forgiveness, and we've mentioned this before in other podcasts, it doesn't mean that what the person has done is right. Uh, it, it doesn't, you know, take away all the hurt and the pain that they've done. But yet this is something that Jesus still calls us to do. Sure, you sure. Know, because as I've often heard the phrase, and I've used it myself, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting it to affect the other person. Right, right, right. That that the yeah, that not forgiving somebody is is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah ex exactly. And and that that is an important notion that that um, when someone has wronged us, there's 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 a, a wrong to be named and to be dealt with. The question is from here, what are we going to do about mm -hmm. it? And the the refusal to practice forgiveness. Uh, is kind of like leaving the the splinter in or leaving the wound in there, and you know it will continue to kill you uh, unless it's taken out and we deal with it and we're and we're done with it. Then healing can happen. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean that I automatically have to you know, if if someone has embezzled from me, I don't have to automatically make them the treasure of my accounts all over again. Yeah. It does mean that when we talk about forgiving other people, that uh, I won't vindictively or vengefully, ah, oh, you did this to me, so now I'm going to do this to you and your kids and your family. I'm going to make your life miserable. No, it's about I'm not going to be ruled by what you've done to me. And again, in that way, forgiveness has an awful lot to do with being empowered. There's this, I refuse to be ruled by what you've done to me anymore. Um, and it's, yeah, it's about setting you free, but there's also a sense in which I, I'm no longer tethered to this thing in the past. I won't be, I won't give you that power mm -hmm. uh, to, to define or to rule that I'm, I'm now stuck in this thing that happened to me so that I'm not just perpetually or perennially a victim of this one thing that happened to me once upon a time. But no, okay, that's part of my story. I've got the scars from it, but now I can move on from it. And forgiveness in that regard is actually an act of great strength and requires a great deal of strength to, to do it and to practice it because even though it looks like a one time I'm dropping this thing from the past and leaving it, it's also the day by day conscious. I refuse to go back and dig it up again. Mm -hmm. And that, that strength idea is just interesting, Steve, you know, because the only way we can get that strength is from God. I mean, we can't, I, I can say that I forgive somebody over and over and over again, but until God gives me the strength to be able to forgive them, it's, it's not actually true. You know, I can try to convince myself by just saying it over and over. You know, I've forgiven them. It's done. It's over with. I need that strength from God. And I liked what you talked about. You know, yes, I have these scars and I'm moving on from it. Because it reminds me of, you know, of Christ on the cross and how in his resurrected body, sitting at the right hand of the Father right now, still carries the scars. Right. 
of what forgiveness means. Right. And to me, not to, to jump stories, but that there's that other re- post-resurrection story that, that uh, comes to mind where after the resurrection, Jesus shows up uh, to all the disciples, but then has this aside with Peter, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's this, even though Peter's last words to Jesus before the cross were about Jesus are, I don't know him, I'm, I wasn't his follower, I don't, I'm not even from his region, you know, completely denies knowing him. And then Jesus approaches him and says, Simon Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Once for each time. Mm-hmm. And it, Peter doesn't have the courage to approach Jesus and say, I'm sorry. Jesus hounds him and makes this reconciliation possible. And it doesn't deny it. It's not that Jesus says, let's just pretend I wasn't crucified. It's I was crucified. I died. Here are the scars. You can see it. I'm alive again, wearing the scars. But, uh, that doesn't have to define our relationship anymore. And so there's this new possibility so that Peter can, you know, become the pillar of the early church um, that he he becomes for all the other ways he continues to struggle. Like this is possible. And the thing I think is so critical, um, both for our practice of forgiveness and also uh, an important thing to remember about how God's forgiveness works is that Jesus initiates it. The person who's wronged has the courage to do it. I mean, like mm-hmm. Jesus has teachings uh to both sides of, of the equation. If you're the one who's wronged somebody else, and if you're the one who's wrong, Jesus tells both parties, you go be the one who's grown up enough to go make amends or to go reconcile. Um, so he says uh, at one point in the Sermon on the Mount, I think, if if uh, you are offering your gift at the temple and you remember that a brother or a sister has something against you, leave your gift. God can wait on this. And it's funny to me that he's like, hold off on your act of public worship. Go make things right with mm-hmm. your neighbor. Because... Um, God's eternal. God's got the time. Your brother or your sister, this is your chance. Uh, and so he says, if you're the one who's wronged somebody else, go make amends with them. Go ask for forgiveness. Go, and and at the flip side, uh, when somebody else has sinned against you, Jesus says, go and deal with it. Go, you know, mm-hmm. first talk with them one-on-one. If they won't deal with it, talk and you know, bring a couple of people along. But in no case does Jesus give an allowable situation of, well, I'm, if they'll come to me first, I'll, you know, maybe if they come groveling with their tail between their legs and feel sufficiently remorseful, then I'll talk to him. And sometimes that's our attitude, which is really a way of trying to dress up, I don't want to forgive somebody, and it's there, it, the ball's in their court. I'm, you know, like, we, we pretend that it's more uh, mature. Uh, when they're ready to get their act together and come and talk to me, then I'll talk to them. And instead, Jesus says, no, you be the the grown-up, you be the one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, that, that, that strikes me as a recurring theme in Jesus' worldview, not just in this prayer, but in all of Jesus' teaching of, for a moment, bracket out. It doesn't matter how the other person is acting. If they're being immature, fine. You be the grown-up. If they're being mature, great. Now we've got two grown-ups. You can get that much more done. But uh, whether you're the person who's wronged the other person and finally you finally realize it, or whether you're the one who's been wronged, Jesus says, you be the one who breaks the old cycle. Because the, the alternative is that we run from each other and cover up our sins, or we eventually attack the other person. Uh, and either way, fight or flight, that doesn't go well. I mean, most of human history is sort of a variations on the theme have how fight and flight don't work out well. From Adam in the garden hiding behind the fig leaves mm-hmm. saying, I, I don't know where you are, God, I'm hiding here, um, to you know the, the repeated cycles of violence and vengeance that, that mark our lives and, and the world today. And Jesus offers an alternative. And and forgiveness is that alternative. It's, it, it's not the, we're going to pretend nothing bad happened. We're going to say something bad happened. It's not okay. We're going to let go of it. And I refuse to be defined by it anymore. That takes guts. And in my own personal experience, Steve, I found that a lot of times people don't realize that they've hurt us. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes, yeah, some, somebody does something very intentional and they're just being thinkers and they don't, Yeah. you know, they don't care that they've hurt us. But a lot of times people hurt us unintentionally. And so 
we need to learn how to forgive them without them ever coming to us and, and seeking that forgiveness because they don't, they're not aware that they did it. Right, right. I had a teacher in seminary uh, who said, never attribute, never attribute to malevolence what could equally be attributed to stupidity, which is a way of saying, instead of assuming people are intentionally being rotten and miserable and horrible, it's just as likely, if not more likely, they're being thick-headed and don't realize w- what they're doing is stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's true in the ways we wrong each other. You know, Instead of assuming they're trying to be my villain, they're trying to be, okay, it's quite possible that they don't get it, they don't realize that what they've done or said has uh, stepped on your toes or, or, or harmed you or hurt you. Um, and certainly there's different ways we handle the times when people are intentional and unrepentant about their, yeah, I was trying to be rotten to you and I'd do it again, and people who've unintentionally done it. But because of that fact, um, it does require sometimes for us to be the grown-up. Them and, and again, that that being the one to go to the other person and say, this happened and I was wronged, that's not grudge holding. Grudge holding is if I say it and I won't ever forgive. But if it's mm-hmm. this happened, I need to say it out loud. I need you to know this hurt me and I'm I'm letting it go. That's that's what courage looks like. That's what the courage of forgiveness looks like. And it's not just a, well, I'm not going to mention it to him because uh, I, I, I don't want to make a big deal of it. I mean, there, okay, there's some things that we blow off and no, no big deal, don't need to mention it. And there are other things in life where this needs to be said because I don't want somebody else to get hurt or it needs yeah. to be said so that they know... This is this is how that pushed my button. So that they didn't intend to, they get it. Why, man, that particularly really set me off. And I'm not going to go beat them up or you know hurt their kids or something or steal their dog. No, it, but I need to say it so that it can be dealt with. Because there's a lesson in there for both of us. For, exactly. For us to learn to forgive if we're the ones that have been hurt. Right. But also for that person to learn something about us. Because a lot of times, yes, it is unintentional. I remember one time somebody said something to me that really hurt me. And it, it took me a while to kind of like deal with it. I, I processed with other people. I'm like, am I right to be to be angry over this? And they said yes. And so I went back to that person. And I found out, you know what? They weren't in a good place either. Right, right. And, and so I, I was able to learn that, you know, they weren't in a good place. So again, it was one of those things kind of set out of stupidity, out of out of hurt for themselves. Right. right. But then it also showed them, you know what? Maybe I need to be more careful when I talk to talk to you about certain things. Right. And I mean, that's an important thing, too, because this is this is a moment to realize even when someone has wronged me and I feel like I'm the center of attention because I'm the wounded one. I've been hurt. Like, it's important to recognize even there, I'm not really the center of the universe. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it may be helpful for me to be able to speak up and say, hey, I'm hurt. That needs to be acknowledged. But also the flip side, something might be going on in the other person that I'm not aware of. And it it doesn't excuse what they've done, but it it might give me a whole different window on what's going on in their world. Uh, And similarly, when I'm the one who's wronged somebody else, often because we're so absorbed in ourselves and sort Mm -hmm. of, someone needs to stop us and go, do you realize what you just did really upset them, really hurt them? And, that's that's a difficult thing because it forces us to be pushed out of the center of our own lives and go, oh, other people matter. Other people have things going on in their lives. I don't just get to run roughshod over what's going on in somebody, you know, in someone else's life. But in, in, in so many ways, Jesus is uh, pursuing an agenda of decentering every last one of us mm-hmm. because Jesus is convinced God goes at the center of everything, um, and that. At, at the heart of this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is really about, in prayer form, this is what it would look like to put God at the center of the universe, uh, to God at the center of our being, and to discover that's not um, 
a bad thing. It's like, oh, I'm not that important anymore. I feel so bad. It, no, it's it's right. Things are working properly. When God's at the center, it does something to dethrone the idol I make out of myself, and that's something I need. And it also has a way of bringing me into right connection with everybody else. Because when God's at the center then, and I realize everything I have is a gift from God, and that God's already forgiven me, that changes the way I interact with other people around me. I mean, if, if God is willing to limit himself to come and as as Jesus to live here on earth mm -hmm. why can't we do that ourselves I mean, and that's right. what this whole that's what kingdom living is all about right 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 and in in a, in a way that that um seems to resonate to me with another passage out of the new testament there's this passage in uh philippians where paul talks about the sort of christ-like attitude and um he talks about putting the needs or uh Put others' concerns before your own. And he doesn't explicitly talk about forgiveness there, but I think both the daily bread and the forgiveness piece are, this is what it looks like to put the need, to, to consider others' needs as more important than your own and to trust that they're called to then do the same for me. So as much as I'm called to share my daily bread so other people around me have enough, uh, that's what they're being told to do, called to do within the community as well. And just like I'm being called to forgive others, they're being called to forgive me. If we're constantly putting one another first, nobody gets dropped, uh, but... It happens in this weird, delightful, miraculous way of it's not me looking out for me. It's me looking out for other people and them putting my needs before their own. That's a that's a beautiful sort of picture of how how we're called to uh, to care for each other. Um, there's there's this uh, <laughs> there's this weird visual that's popping in my head right now. Um, it goes back to my church camp days where they do this uh, group building exercise they called the human chair. Have you ever seen the human chair uh, where you get a so. circle of, you know, you get a dozen or 20 people. It, it works if they're giggly eighth graders, uh, maybe because they're at the age where you can get them to do goofy things. Mm -hmm. um, and they will stand in a tight, tight circle, like almost shoulder to shoulder. And if everybody's in a really, really tight circle, you can get everybody to sit down. If everybody sits down together on the count of three, you end up with the sort of like unending loop of lap sitting that everybody's sort of leaning on each other and nobody's sitting completely on their own weight. They're sitting on the weight of the person behind them and the person in front of them is sitting on their weight. And it's funny to watch uh, especially if you're with a group of young people doing this for the first time. It definitely doesn't work with real little kids because they totally can't get it. Uh, much older and they get too cool too cool for school. But uh -huh. in, the, in that right sweet spot where they're willing to, if, if the youth leader tells them to do something goofy, they'll try it. But this beautiful object lesson happens in that moment. Well, Steve, that, that, that's great. And we've spent a lot of time you know, this week talking about this, but as always, we need to learn how to live this out. So this becomes a challenge, right? We, 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 yes. can, we can talk about it fine for half an hour of the conversation, and now we've got to go out and live like but it's true. we got to actually live out the Lord's Prayer. So um, I think that's going to wrap us up for this week. All right. Join us next time for uh, more conversation as we delve into the next piece of the Lord's Prayer. Thanks for being with us. See you guys.